This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Blitz is defined as a sudden, savage attack. It is indeed all this. The effect is sure. The premise is simple. It's a basic, primal confrontation. Man to man. No excuses are offered. None accepted. Welcome to the latest edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Looks like a radio station. Now, here are your hosts. Lifetime Longhorn Rod Babers. Pure athlete, yeah. I transcend race, hombre. Matt Butler. I don't talk man. I back it up. And we are sock full of that, man. That's right. And Jeff Howe. It's still real to me, damn it. And that's the bottom line. Because Stone Cold said so. If you're going to blitz, come strong, but don't come at all. Coming strong with another edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns 24-7, and it feels so good to be back home again. The three of us are in studio for the first time since I don't even remember when. I don't either. Sometime during football season. I think Tom Herman was still the head coach yes, of Texas the last time we for were sure. in studio. It was like together. forever ago. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we're going to talk Steve Sarkeesian. The Steve Sarkeesian era at Texas is... Uh, up for discussion today, including something, uh, and this is an ongoing conversation we have, something about one of Rod's former teammates that sparked a healthy discussion on the flagship message board at Hornets 24-7 this week that I want to get into. So let's not waste any time and get right into it. Before we do, though, got to remind everybody, if you're not a subscriber to this podcast, first off, thank you to those of you who are. If you're not, search Horns 24-7 anywhere you get your podcast. Click the subscribe button and get every episode of the flagship State of Recruiting and Longhorn Blitz. And don't forget to leave us a five-star review. And, of course, you can get all your Longhorn news notes and nuggets on the team, on recruiting, on multiple sports at Horns 24-7. So with that, with that out of the way, let me bring in the rest of the team. He is the master of the soundboard, the drop machine extraordinaire, our lead research analyst on Longhorn Blitz, and the daily fantasy guru. He is Matt Butler. How are you, sir? Doing pretty well, man. How about you? Not too shabby. And very proud to bring in the third member of our team, our lockdown corner here on Longhorn Blitz. Lifetime Longhorn, 2002 UT All-American, 2002 semifinalist for the Jim Thorpe Award. Fourth-round draft choice of the New York Giants back in 2003. Spent his NFL career with the Giants, Lions, Bears, Bucks, Broncos, and a year with the Hamilton Tiger Cats in the CFL. When he was done with football, he got himself back to Austin, Texas and the 40 acres where he earned his degree. Whenever that T-ring comes in, we will make sure he wears it proudly. Nevertheless, he is a card-carrying member of DBU, and when you get that All-American honor recognized by the NCAA, they make sure you get one of those black cards. Number 21 in your program, number one in your hearts, Mr. Rod Babers. Thanks for the intro, brother. Good to have it looking live. Good to be good to be back in the no same doubt. studio with you, Rod yeah, B. Uh, gentlemen, let's not waste any time. And and we're at the point in the off season where I feel like there are topics maybe we could beat to death, and topics that are best saved for another day. And expectations for a new head coach is always something you can talk about. And I feel like talking about it this week because I think we're starting to get maybe even just a general idea uh, nationally of what the expectations are going to be for Steve Sarkeesian in year one. 
And I got to point to a couple of content items at uh, CBSSports.com. And, you know, we got to keep in the Viacom CBS family. Uh, Tom Fornelli had his, uh, had a couple of different rankings, ranking the uh, best Power Five coaches, all 65 of them that you're mm-hmm. 64 Power Fives in list. conference and Notre Dame. Uh, it's Steve Sarkeesian coming in at 46, and that would place him eighth in the Big 12. He is ranked ahead of Dave Aranda at Baylor and Matt Wells at Texas Tech. Uh, but that's where he ranks Steve Sarkeesian. Tom Fornelli and CBS Sports does. That's where they rank Steve Sarkeesian in the pecking order of mm. Big 12 coaches. And right. then behind Lance Leopold. Yeah, which is <laughs> which I, I think I think their thought process was as a head coach, what have you accomplished so exactly. far? What gives you street cred? What gives you clout as a head coach? And when you went back and looked at it, yeah, Chris Kleiman, Lance Lepo, as head coaches, those guys have actually uh, arguably accomplished more than Sark has. And I think it's not at the higher levels that Sark has. Well, and I think the trump card too, Rod, is Sark hasn't had a full season as as a Power Five head coach in seven years. So I'm saying it's, yeah. it's, been, <laughs> it's been a long time. We keep looking at him at, in terms of projecting what he could be at Texas. Exactly. Yes, he could end up being you know top five, top ten best coaches in college football. Right now, though, that's all potential. Yeah, so, if it was, say, on football acumen, it may be different. They're all yeah. different arbitrary judgments. Depends on what but you're yes, looking at. You don't know yet. So, and, and then you've got this this article at CBS Sports, which it's kind of their you know national college football team picking the biggest upsets uh, of the early season. I saw that too. Barrett Salee's got Louisiana over Texas on September 4th as his <laughs> biggest upset of the early season. And Tom Fornelli has Arkansas over Texas on September 11th as his biggest upset. Hey, so... Man. Guys, we start looking at this, and, and and I'll I'll point to the non I'll go right to the non conference schedule, and that's where this this mm-hmm. article. I was already thinking this, and this article just kind of reinforcing things I was thinking. Here's the expectations for Sark, and this is why I think anybody that's thinking this team can go win ten or eleven games probably needs to pump the brakes. Do you guys realize that if Steve Sarkeesian finished any better than one and two, if he's two and one after non conference? He'd be the first Texas head coach since Fred Akers in 1977 to start his first season better than one and two. Yeah, I heard you say that on like David the McWilliams started one and two. John McAvick started one and two. Mac Brown started one and two. Mm-hmm. Charlie Strong started one and two. And then we know because of the Maryland debacle and that near miss to Coliseum, Tom Herman started one back and two. Back to back Maryland debacle. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's sad when you got a Mitchell. Oh, uh, which one? Which one? <laughs> yeah. yeah, just Maryland. The one where uh, the one where Maryland Bob Cole did. had to tell people on the PA at DKR for students to stop throwing trash on the field, hey. and where Mike Parent had to go over to the student section and motion for the students hey. to refrain from throwing. They were trash watching on the trash, field. so they felt the trash should be on the field. Oh, they were just man. adding to the trash. <laughs> stop scheduling Maryland. Yes. So. You know, I think that's where the expectations start, Rod, is, you know, and I think it just reinforces the fact that when you've got a first-year head coach, even a head coach who has as good of a year as Mac Brown did, like like take Mac's first year, right? Mm-hmm. You inherit a guy who eventually is a Heisman Trophy winner. Yeah. You're eventually, because you are who you are, you're going to recruit at, at an insane rate in your first full recruiting cycle mm-hmm. and sitting – Three feet to my left now is somebody who was in that first full recruiting cycle for Mac Brown. Just an insane amount of talent yeah. started pouring into the forty. But 
Kind of humble beginnings because when you look at that that early schedule, and it wasn't non-conference, that early schedule did Mac no favors where, yes, you open with New Mexico State, but you go on the road to face UCLA. A UCLA and if you, did, if you didn't have a college football conscience at the time, Rod, it's hard to – it's hard to tell somebody that might be 20 years old right now listening to this podcast, hey, man, back in the mid to late 90s, playing UCLA was no joke. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like they no. were they under talent. Bob Toledo when they had Cade McNown and it yeah. was rolling. They 66-3. were 66-3. They were they a legitimate talent, national yeah. championship contender. It's hard to fathom that about UCLA now, but that's what they were at the time. And the same thing with K-State. Like, that was a K-State team, so Texas goes to UCLA. They have a comeback at the end, so it's cosmetically better, but it's a game UCLA wins pretty comfortably. And then Major Applewhite makes his first career start the following week. You go to Kansas State. Ricky Williams rushes for, I think, 49, 46 yards, whatever it it was. And that was a K-State team that was an overtime loss to Texas A&M away from, in all likelihood, playing for a national championship. The beginning of the Purple Kryptonite. Mm -hmm. So very different levels of competition. And and we know that team under Mack got better because he inherited a lot of talent from John Makovic and uh, developed what he had. And then, like, you know, we said Rod with starting with your recruiting class, just insane amount of talent. Mack inherited more talent than than Tom Herman inherited, Sark inherited too. No question. Oh, dude, it's, without question. Like I, I, I'm not saying that that Mack didn't do a great job. He did an awesome job. But I mean, you're talking about he, he inherited first round picks. When yeah. you like, when you inherited Quentin Jammer, Mike Williams, Ricky Williams, yes. Casey Ham, <laughs> Foundation, Sean Rogers. Yeah, yeah. When when yes. Mike Tollison when Mike Tollison when Mike Tollison goes into his first D line meeting room D line meeting. And he sees Sean Rogers and Casey Hampton sitting there. He's probably thinking, oh. "All right, I'm off to a pretty good start I here." I get what this Texas yeah. thing is. And there's is. Cedric Woodard and Aaron Humphrey. All right, uh, I got some things I can work with here. Yeah, no, it was. Thank God uh, I had those guys as a young, a young DB. I mean, it made life easy on DBs. And, trust me. That's why I can't understand. Hey, nothing against the DBs that were starting at the time, but man, that look at your D line. Mm-hmm. You should. That, that's how I think they knew we got to upgrade in the secondary because our D that, that D line was legit. They should have been wreaking more havoc. Should have been making more plays. Yeah, and that's when we always talk about that era and the Makovic era and how oddly similar Herman's time was to yeah. the to the Makovic era. And like even when you look at now, I wouldn't say the talent's the same way, but. You got a Bijan, you got a running back that you're inheriting, you got a D-line that you're inheriting with some bodies and stuff. So, like, we don't know the NFL upside, and it's going to be hard to be at that level. But still, it's very similar. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think this group Sark inherited is as talented as the one Mac Brown inherited. But there's talent there. So we take all that into consideration, right? The history of the recent history of first year Texas coaches getting off to a slow start. You look at what gets inherited, what you've got to work with and down the road, it'll be Sark's ability to recruit and add to that. And then you look at the schedule, Rod, if you're two and one coming out of these first three games, that's that's not a bad start. That's success. I'm with you. And I I think it's something I've heard you talking about this on light the tower. And I think you had some, good stats on it but uh, I haven't done a deep dive research on it yet I mean how often have we had a brand new head coach with a quarterback inherited that never had a start never it's right? never happened in the post. There are, they, I don't I can't I, there aren't they, records I can't, available I can't think about it. there aren't records available to look pre-DKR but, yeah. but for starting with Fred Akers every Texas head coach has inherited a quarterback with at least one game of starting experience until now, yeah. So you, I, I would say you, I, as much as you're gonna factor in the schedule into this conversation, 
I think you throw that right on top of there yeah. in the top three things. I mean, a brand new staff, but a, a quarterback inherited without one start. Yeah. Now, the only belt. thing, like, and one. it isn't similar, but it, Richard Walton had started. But how major was that freshman that overcame? If you were to, say, have a guy like Hudson Card come in and take a job the way the way major did, it could be similar. It's a young freshman or yeah. a young quarterback coming in. But, yeah, never so raw. It's interesting when you look at the last three head coaches and how things ended for them. And all three of those coaches in those seasons, Mack in 13, Charlie Strong's season in 16, mm-hmm. and Tom Herman's 2020, when we, you know, from the outside looking in, and Mack started that rebuild after the 10 season where you had the staff turnover and everything yeah. else. There's no sense in going down that road and, and repeating yeah. everything that happened. But, Rod, those are the seasons where things were supposed to come together. Mm-hmm. You know, Mac at 13, it was going to be, you know, you were going to have, you're supposed to have your quarterback situation figured out by then. Uh, you know, the, that class of, of 2010, that, that you know, the, that Jackson Jeffcoat, Trey Hopkins class, those guys were going to be true seniors or redshirt juniors. So you, you were going to have a nice talent core that was experienced. Uh, you would have been through the, that gap in the pipeline that 2009 class created. So, the 13th season, you were going to be fine, and you drastically underperformed because was it the decision to keep Manny Diaz? Was it you know putting too many eggs in the mm. David Ash basket? A, a lot of different yeah, things, but it basically was multifactorial. If Mac was going to turn around, 13 needed to be the season that they went and won 10 games. And got back into the mix. Had a chance the to win the Big 12 match. title in the end. They did. Yeah. <laughs> just like you promised you. And he did. Just like I promised you. You have a chance. <laughs> so, but they go 8 and 5. And 8 and 5 was not what anybody expected in 13. So you have the change. And then 16, gosh, I, I just, I remember just like the euphoria that that 16 season started out with. With mm. the win over Notre Dame. Oh, gosh. The way it happened. <laughs> and then I'll never forget, man, sitting on, standing on the sideline in Berkeley and watching. Was it Vic Unwary going for that last touchdown that Cal scored and thinking, man, the whole – and I, I said it to – I don't remember if it was Kirk Bowles, somebody was standing next to me, and I said at the time, I was like, man, the whole Notre Dame thing was a fraud. Because by, by that point we realized, oh, Notre Dame's got problems. Yep, They were not a top-10 team it and probably goals. aren't going to be. And yeah. I was like, yeah, the Notre Dame thing was a fraud, and we found out that it was. And then Tom Herman last year, from the time he took the job – with that first full cycle that he had, you know, the Caden Stearns, B.J. Foster class, that historic D.B. Hall, mm-hmm. everything, you know, get, getting to the point where you were going to be able to trust in Sam Ellinger as a, as a true senior and a fourth year, a full, uh, basically a four-year starter, everything was lined up for Texas to go win big. And we talked about that all, all last offseason. And even though you did have to make changes and even though yeah. you had the COVID issues, everybody was dealing with the same thing. Senior quarterback, yeah. You had all okay. the advantages. Yep. And you didn't cash in on it. Mm-mm. The way you needed to, the way you were supposed to. So, it's interesting then that you've had these coaching changes coming off of those seasons where you're supposed to turn expectations around. were you're gonna win the conference. Yeah, mm-hmm. or you're gonna yeah, I mean you're gonna win the conference. That's that's that was expectation for Mac. That's the expectation for Tom Herman was in 2020. Oh, you're gonna win the conference. Senior quarterback Sam, you're ready. This is it. You got and, all the pieces in place. And what ha- So what we've learned chosen your staff. You've well, handpicked. Them. What we've learned is what happens is. When you have those expectations, if you have a season like that where you meet expectations, in theory, if you're doing it right at a place like Texas, everything should start rolling at that point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I remember I remember how I had a conversation with Charlie Strong 
and the spring of 16. And he thought the cake was and being baked. Huh? You know he thought that. He's like, I think I got the recipe. Because yeah. Jeff, I figured it out. Because that 17 <laughs> recruiting Kansas. class, that was like Marvin Wilson and Walker Little and Jeff Okuda mm-hmm. and Baron Browning. Notice I said a lot of guys that have been drafted, drafted really high in the NFL. Mm-hmm. With the exception of Marvin Wilson, which is a weird deal, but I digress. Um, but I remember talking to Charlie, and I remember him telling me his exact words were, Jeff, if we win the way I think we can win, we're going to get everybody, and things around here are going to change. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure Mac, I know Mac thought the same thing, and I know Tom Herman thought the same thing yeah. going into 20. So they were right. in theory, yeah, in theory. when you win, when you meet <laughs> yeah. expectations, it should it. start rolling. Exactly, but when Mac you, had lived it. But when you don't meet expectations, typically the following year, whether you make a coaching change or not, you're going to have a little bit of a lull and start to build that thing back up. And you've exacerbated the problem, Rod, because now you're having to build it back up with a brand new regime that's having to learn players. And what happens anytime you have a coaching transition, you're going to have attrition. So basically, in these, I say that to say this in these cycles, Texas has had to exacerbate the normal problems you have coming off of a cycle like that by switching, by having these coaching transitions oh, yeah. and bringing in a new regime and changing things up. So then. We should learn by now, based on Charlie Strong's first year and Tom Herman's first year, now Sarg's first year, if you think this is a 9- or 10-win team, get your mind wrapped around the fact that it might be two games fewer than you think just because of all the disadvantages we're talking about. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. And when you start talking about you know the post-mortem of those previous regimes and looking at them, once you have established the expectations and you have – gotten a chance to rebuild your staff, handpick your next staff, you are so done with the excuses, right? right. You got mm-hmm. no more excuses. It's all got to be on you, the head coach. You must be the problem. We've allowed you to recruit your guys, mm-hmm. all right? We've allowed you to handpick your staff, all right? You got your, for Tom Herman, you had your senior quarterback, your guy. We allowed, you had every, Oklahoma was down. Mm-hmm. Right, you got to yeah. think about the, the the perspective of it too, right? The Oklahoma was down. Oklahoma benched their starting quarterback in that game. You had every chance, mm-hmm. and hell, I don't get into the Bijan Robinson. But my point is, once you once the discussion is over and you have calculated right all the different factors, you look at it and you go, well, it's got to be Tom Herman. Tom Herman's a problem. Oh, Coach Mac Brown was a problem. He picked his own staff. And he screwed that up too. Yep. All right. You get like one mulligan. And, yeah. You get one mulligan it? if it's like, you That's know, it. you get a cha- one change. It's a desperation heave either of your staff yeah. or you're given a shot because, like, say there was an injury or something that's unfair. But after that, once you're at a place, that's about all you get yeah. these days. And, and un- you can get that by year two. And for, unfortunately for Tom Herman, it was a perfect storm of social issues, right? We have to deal with. Hell, uh, we talked about during COVID, Texas it wasn't going to happen. COVID, right? For him, it was like, he was like, <laughs> damn it, free year I just wanted kids. I wait all this time, and now i got to deal with COVID. i got to deal with social injustice, the eyes of Texas. Oh, by the way, and i got to go win the Big 12, something Texas has only done three times since the inception yeah. of the league. Like, I think for Tom Herman, that's – ultimately, we – you know, obviously, we're talking more about Sark here, but – what hurt Tom Herman, I've always said this, he was on the right track. You know this and I mm-hmm. know this. We, we talked about it. He was on the right track. And in 2018, after 2018, literally he and Sam and everybody behind the curtain there, they thought they had solved it. They thought, Texas yeah. is back. We fixed it. Hey, man, it wasn't that hard. What are y'all talking about? Mm-hmm. What, what the hell were y'all doing here all this time? I came from U of H. It took me two years to fix Texas football. Yeah. We're back. You're welcome. Give me my raise. National title in two years. 
Peace. Where's my statue? Like yeah. it was just it was it was set. All right, that's yeah. the way it's gonna work out. And then 2019, the LSU game was really fool's the, gold almost. No, no, not exactly. But they yeah. lost. <laughs> but it was it was also the pinnacle of the season. That was actually the best they had played in 2019. Yeah. Until you get to the bowl game, well, ultimately that's the fool's gold for mm-hmm. Tom Herman. That was always the fugazi, the fugazi. Oh, the bowl. Oh, look how they performed in the bowl game. They were ready. It was unbelievable. And then you they look, come that out is flat. Gonna, that is going to foreshadow next season and they're going to win the Big 12. And no, that was always BS. That bowl game was separate. It should have always been the outlier for Tom Herman. So I'm with you. It's For, for Sark, those first three, we're going we're gonna to learn everything we need to know about Steve Sarkeesian and if he's ready for this job in those first three games. I'm glad That's you the said beauty that. of it. We'll know everything we need to know. We'll know like, oh, he's got a lot of growing to do. Or, okay, he's matching. Okay, this guy, this, this is a hell of a head coach. I, I think this guy is going to be, you know, the he's going to be potentially the guy that can outwit Lincoln Riley and outcoach the best coaches in the Big 12, the Matt Campbells. Yeah, I'm, glad and, you, I'm glad you said that because you can tell a lot about how a coaching tenure is going to go based on a guy's first three games. We'll know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not going to sit here and pretend, you know, to, to go back and study the David McWilliams start or the John Makovic start. I just remember Makovic's first game, that was against Mississippi State, and that was the Jackie Sherrill castration incident and that whole deal played <laughs> oh, into it. Um, yeah, there was, there was that whole, yeah. that whole deal. Very old. But, like, you look, at Max, like you look at Max's first three games, and like I said, you beat New Mexico State, you go out and play a damn good UCLA team, and you have this comeback at the end, and cosmetically it looks better, but at least you put up a fight. And then basically all hell broke loose against K-State where you're having a redshirt freshman quarterback make his first career start, your Heisman winner gets bottled up, you lose 48-7, and then I think everybody's thinking at that point, okay, how are you going to come back from that? Because mm-hmm. everybody knew looking at the schedule, okay, you've got some time before you're going to you know, play Nebraska and then A&M at the end of the year, so you've yep. got some time to figure this out. And Matt got it figured out. You and did. by the end of the year, you beat A&M. You, you go, are you in Nebraska's long home winning streak. Yeah. You beat A&M. You win the bowl game. Yeah. You sign this great class with Rod Babers and Corey Redding mm-hmm. and Chris Sims, and boom, you're off and running. Yep. And we know the rest of the story. Highs, that. Well, let's go back to Charlie's first three games. Okay, You had to start with North Texas. Mm-hmm. Where it's ends up being David Ash's last game. Oh. You lose David Ash and Dom Espinosa forever in the mm. same game. To start Brodo. the season. But think about yeah. – but Rod – Here's the other thing about Charlie. So to Charlie's tenure can be summed up by, man, sometimes he, he just got dealt a bad hand. But then it was also self-inflicted because you remember what happened in the UCLA game? Oh, was that the you remember coin, the coin toss? toss? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember the coin Were the referees toss. asking Desmond Jackson, are you sure? Are you sure this is what you want to do? And you end up kicking off to start both halves. Nobody prepared the young man. I'm not taking away your sponsor. Prepared him for what was the right hey, you decision. You remember the game no, where Ty- Tyrone Swoops puts up a hell of an effort and then they Duke did. Thomas falls to the double move after I remember Vance and Charlie both mm. in the post game like we told him, watch out for the double move. They're gonna double move you. That's all that's all they're gonna do here. They're gonna yeah. double move you. And Duke they Thomas bit it. and fell for the double move. Yeah. And and how different would Charlie's tenure have been? Maybe it wouldn't maybe it would have ended the same, but how different would year one have been? Had they beaten, uh, what was usually like 12, 13 in the country? Yeah, you're going to beat them and, and start off 2-1-1, and one, and then you're going to go play Kansas and get Charlie Weiss fired, and then you're 3-1, mm-hmm. and, and maybe things are a little bit different at that point. Maybe then you've got the confidence to finish off that Oklahoma game that you were in mm. there right in in the second half. And then we go to Tom Herman's you know, first three games, yeah. and it was 
exactly what the Tom Herman era was. It was. Against Maryland, a team you should have beat, a team you were favored to beat, you started off hot, and then you got, I guess you got big-headed or whatever after the Holton Hill pick six, and you end up losing by 10, but really it was a 17-point game. You got a garbage-time touchdown in the last minute and a half. Mm-hmm. But then on the flip side, you go play the number four team in the country on the road and take them to double overtime in Sam Ellinger's first road start. Yeah. So it's like, it's and everybody's like, uneven. wow. Yeah. yeah. And it's just this uneven. Well, which Texas are we going to get? We knew which Texas we were going to get under Tom Herman against teams they were favored to beat that they should have beaten. It's going to be closer than it should be because you play up and down in your competition. Likewise, mm-hmm. that's why against an Oklahoma, a Georgia, a whoever it is, you're going to get up for that game yeah, more yeah. than you do other games yeah. and you're going to look really good. And yeah. it was just, it was never, Texas never got to the point where they played to that standard. Yeah. Totally agree, and that's why Tom Herman had Texas playing in more one-score games than any other team in the country uh. under his tenure. Yeah, and then you finish oh, sorry, up power five, power big five. bowl wins with horrible season-opening losses. You know, like yeah. the way it's just very yeah, right. bizarre. That was the, yeah, you're right. That was the, it's the a gift natural and the curse back of Tom and forth, literally all the way across. Yeah. And since we've been talking about those first three games up until last week, I never saw any betting lines anywhere, but there is a line for Texas-Arkansas now in Texas. Favored by four and a half, so that's at least interesting to see. Uh, the, you see a line for the Louisiana game? No, nope, that's the one I was looking for. I was hoping to find it because I'm interested in that one because Louisiana is actually good. They're better than Arkansas. That probably. Arkansas game doesn't concern me necessarily with the talent that Arkansas has. I do think their coordination and game plans are going to be good because of Kendall Browse and Barry Odom. Mm-hmm. What concerns me is that going on the road, you're going to face adversity, and I don't know who the team leaders are. Yeah, And that's who usually will you know, kind of – Calm the team down. Will you know lead the team? Whether it be something or something they got to do by example when they're on the road and they face that adversity. That's when your leaders usually show up. And I'm I'm sure they're going to have leadership, but they lost so much of it too. And it's a great going back to your point about you know the expectations. 2004, when Texas had to go up there and had a senior Benson and a senior DJ, you had Vince actually. But like that team had to eke out a win very late against a team that was pretty inferior. If you just look at talent, and it took some big plays from guys like Benson in that game to do it. I think that Arkansas team finished five and six. Yeah, they weren't very. That was their best game. But that could be their Super Bowl exactly. It was well, because the year be before simple. Matt Jones yeah. ran all over Texas. Oh, remember that oh. <laughs> in '03. So yeah, Arkansas always comes to play. Yeah, I mean, I you know our our insider piece, our insider piece at Horns twenty four seven last week was my colleague Chip Brown had a pretty in depth interview with Houston Nutt, just talking about the history of the Texas Arkansas oh, yeah. rivalry, and that was an exact quote from Houston Nutt, like this is Arkansas Super Bowl. Did he really say that? Yeah. Wow. When they play Texas, it is their Super Bowl. And I, I don't think these. You know, not that it will play that much of a role in the game, but I don't know if Texas's players and decide for te- even it's the young Texas fans, because myself included in that. Mm. By the way, you played one Arkansas game. In I your played career. one Arkansas. I don't know if we understand yeah, how we vitriolic don't. and how much angst is in the rivalry from the Arkansas That's side. A great point, because my that dad would say the same thing. Because to me, growing up in Austin, like Arkansas yeah. to my dad's generation oh, was the same thing as Oklahoma, and like maybe bigger than A and M. When like I say was, we, I mean I mean I mean we as far as Texans. 
when you cross that state line, like my wife's fam, my wife's got family. It's in like Arkansas, Craig Way so we'll, stories that it, they wouldn't even let you fill up gas in this yeah. state. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You coming back, get people, gas, and the filling station attendant wouldn't put it in a Texas people coming license back. Plate. Yeah, people That's coming fantastic. back from the shootout trying to drive back to Texas. They could not get gas in the state of Arkansas because the full service stations would not. If you had a Texas plate, they would not. Put the gas attendant wouldn't awesome. come out, and you couldn't self serve your wow. gasoline back so, in the day. Um. <laughs> But uh, my, my wife's got family in Arkansas. If I go up there and I'm just randomly wearing Texas gear, like the looks I get, <laughs> I'm I'm not prepared for it. I I forget it's out it's out of sight, out of mind for me. I was in the second grade the last time Texas and Arkansas when they stopped playing each other on an annual basis. Yeah. So I don't like I know the rivalry because I've read though. the history book, but I don't know it like I know the A and M rivalry or, or the Oklahoma rivalry or even like. Shoot, like Texas Tech or Baylor, because those games are there every year. At least you've got some history. With Arkansas, for me, and I'm 37, for me, it's out of sight, out of mind. Mm-hmm. So for an 18 to 22 year old on the team, man, they have no they idea. Have no idea. They have no yeah. clue. But I believe the Arkansas oh, team, question. they'll understand it because, like you said, they were programmed with it, right? They've been mm-hmm. indoctrinated with it because that's how Arkansas fans view this rivalry, even though Lohan fans don't even really view it as a rivalry. That's dangerous. Yes. Yeah. So I hope Sark can communicate that to the young men. Hope they maybe they gotta watch some of those old break out some of those old school <laughs> the 1960s game of the century game. when yeah. the president yeah. Nixon yeah. Yeah. Was like, that's how big this damn game was. I gotta understand. And then it. he declares a national think about <laughs> yeah. that if you had a president after a college Seriously. game declaring a national champion on TV. That, <laughs> yeah. It's a world that is I wanna live in. That'd be great. You don't even have anybody <laughs> rod from that Texas Bowl team in fourteen when Texas played Arkansas down in NRG. You don't have anybody on oh, the team from that game. Poor Lonnie Roddick. <laughs> wow! Yeah, yeah. You, you know, I was I, I had to go. I had to go cover the Under Armour game down in Orlando that day. Like, so Chris Hummer and I just switched. I was like, Chris, you take the bowl game. I'll go down to Under Armour because that was when the whole Kyler Murray thing was starting to pop mm-hmm. off. So it's like, hey, we, you know, yeah, we need to basically. I basically I was on the Kyler Murray beat for a few days. Yeah, it happens. And I go down to Orlando, Rod. I watched like I remember Arkansas being up seven nothing, and I don't know if it was jet lag or whatever. I fell asleep. Hmm. And didn't watch the rest of the game. Wow! And to this day, have not gone back and watched. I just saw the box score <laughs> and the highlights. I'm like, that's probably enough. I don't think I need to really go back and <laughs> go back and peruse that. I'll just leave it. I'll oh, just man. leave it be. Yeah, I feel you. Um, but no, yeah, it is a much bigger deal to Arkansas people. It is, and, man. and you're gonna go. Think about this, Rod. Especially like for a B. John Robinson, right? Because your one season of college football was a COVID season, so you didn't deal with full crowds and the whole experience. That's true too. It's going to be a hundred percent attendance in Rowdy. Fayetteville. So you can com- so you combine the fact that it's it's on it's in Fayetteville. It's going to be a night game. It's going to be Texas is in town, mm-hmm. and it's post COVID. So it's a hundred it's a hundred percent attendance. Oh, yeah, man. That's going to be by far be the most raucous environment. I'd say probably half this team has seen. Unless you play, yes, the, good uh, point, though. Unless unless you're one of the guys that's played the in a full heads. capacity OU yeah. game, yeah. Then you haven't seen anything like you're going to see. I agree with you on that. On September 11th, and that could be dangerous for, yeah. especially for whoever that quarterback is. Yeah, right? that could be a very intimidating environment for a a quarterback who hasn't had that many starts under their belt. There'll be what one start under their belt at that point. Two. And to one. your point, yeah. yeah. And to your point, one. Rod, who are the veterans on this team that are going to be able to that that are going to be able to that are going to be that calming presence? Exactly. Like, who are those guys on offense right now? Of in terms of veteran guys, Jake Smith was there, Rojo, but barely. Rojo, 
Bijan, yeah. I've heard, is wise and mature yeah. beyond his years from what I've heard. But you're right. But I'm talking I, about upperclassmen. Derek Kerstetter yeah. will come back, so that'll That's, be good. He, he's the one. Um, Kate, but you're right. There's not a lot. Kate but Brewer. like Cade Brewer. but Cade Brewer. Yeah. yeah. It's not a lot of those guys, no. though. Exactly. Because we just they, – yeah, they haven't really – there's not that many proven commodities. To be a leader in football, you have to have proven it on the field. Otherwise, nobody's going to listen to you lead from the bench. Yeah. You then you're, you're just a guy that – you know, you just rah-rah. That's great. But – to lead on a football team, you have to be a baller. You have to be one of the guys that people respect their play on the field. So, first of all, the guys have to earn the spots, and there's some spots still to be earned mm-hmm. before you can start the- voicing your vocal leadership. Yeah. It's like, dude, you may be on the bench soon. You ain't earned your damn spot. Earn your damn spot first before you start trying to preach to everybody else about competition and about work ethic. Yeah. So, that's you don't establish that leadership until really this offseason. It's going to come in the defensive the side of the ball. The like it, you yeah. have the DBs in the D line have some experience. They got, they got some and guys so like, who can lead. When yeah. you have one side, one of the side of the team that's also maybe going to be a strength of the team. It's just maybe a defensive yeah. led team more so this year. Yeah, because Kendrick Coburn definitely mm-hmm. a leader. Demarvin Overshone. Demarvin Overshone. He, I mean, he's even a guys like leader. Jameson and De- Foster Jameson, there. Yeah, I think though Josh Thompson. I think mm-hmm. he was it's just time category. for some of those guys to. With, with you know, because we talked about this after the 18 season going into 19, Rod, and I think it applies going from 20 to 21. Think <laughs> about from 18, you lose a Chris Boyd, a Charles Menahu, <clears throat> excuse me, a Charles Menahu, yep, and Andrew Beck. You lost some, even though some of those guys might not have said a lot. The kind of guys that when they did speak, everybody listened. Oh, from that 2018 squad. Yeah. Oh yeah. Think about the O line. Calvin Anderson wasn't a good leader for you, yeah. right? From that 2018 group. Yeah. yeah. So you you lost some pretty powerful voices, and the same thing now. You know, you you lose a, a Sam Ellinger, a Sam Cosme, a, a Taquan Graham, uh, guys that had guys that had voices that, that carried weight. But now, to to your point about this is when you find out who your leaders are. It's time for a Deshaun Jameson and a Keandre Coburn and guys like that to sit at the head of the table yeah. and and be an example. Be an example with your play on the field. And you've got to be able to provide that vocal leadership. You've got to be able to provide that steady hand, that that mm-hmm. calming influence on these younger guys. That, like I said, even like a Bijan Robinson, as talented as he is, he's he's never experienced anything like he's going to experience in Fayetteville. Very true. Yeah, and that's why I think you know this is going to be a pivotal all season in terms of the um, peer accountability. I guess right, um, the throwing sessions, guys working out together. Um, trying to right, trying to get together to watch film on spring, all those types of things. Like how, and for those guys who are still competing for spots, which I, I think everybody who was competing for a spot in spring is probably still competing for that spot in yeah. training camp. I don't know anybody mm-hmm. who, who was competing for a spot in spring and wasn't considered the starter if they won the job in spring. Maybe now they with the did. New coach. And now with the new coach, I don't think so. I think he still wants to evaluate. So I wonder how much work is going to be put in the offseason. I believe that's what Sark wanted. He wants to see that separation. That's why he gave the whole damn playbook. That's why he gave the audience. I'm giving you every damn thing because some of you guys won't digest it all in spring. You don't have the time to. I get that. You'll get better at some things, but you won't get better at everything but how much are you going to work in the offseason how much you're going to nag your quarterback that you want to go throw and have seven on seven sessions and to watch film are you basically gonna still have your two a days I mean we still had two a days in the offseason we were doing it our damn selves we got we go we watch film and then we have our seven on seven throwing sessions and that kind of practice are the guys going to do that on their own but that was organized by our quarterbacks usually right yeah. that got was a Sim- lot of leadership yeah that, exactly right that was Sim- Simsation and I remember when I was organizing the defense but that came 
game in my senior year, and you take you took pride in that, all right? Like, hey man, we're gonna at this time we you know we're gonna be at the stadium. Everybody meet us there. We're gonna work out for ninety minutes. We're gonna cover these things. Uh, boom, boom, boom. You know, what I mean, organizing the film sessions, all that stuff. That's leadership, though, to be able to call guys out. I'm like, no, no, it ain't mandatory, but we're your brothers, and we mm-hmm. it's mandatory for the brotherhood. Coaches ain't calling. Yeah. The brotherhood is calling for it. Like wide receiver is one of those positions to me that encompasses exactly what you're talking about mm-hmm. because there's not a guy in that room that can go through this. There's not a Roy Williams in that group. No. Right. There's not, not a guy in that room that can say, I don't BJ really have Johnson. anything to work on and I'm just going to have the kind of clout I do just because of my name. Like even even a guy like Jordan Whittington, who I think we can all say at this point is a proven commodity and somebody this staff really likes. Mm-hmm. Jordan Whittington can work what he what can he work on this summer? He can work on figuring okay, how do I make sure my body's right so I don't have any issues? I agree. No doubt. Jake Smith, take up yoga, whatever it is. Jake (laughs) Smith, the same thing. Mm -hmm. Joshua Moore, the same thing. Hell, Troy Troy O'Meara, the same thing. And then you've got guys like Marcus Washington and Kelvante Dixon, guys that just straight up need to step up and put themselves in a position to get playing time. Otherwise. If that doesn't happen, when Kai Money's in the game on third down, and like, why is Kai Money in the game? Go back and think about what happened or didn't happen in the summer. Yeah, I heard you guys having the Kai Money conversation on Like to Tell. It's very interesting. And I agree with what you guys said. Yeah. It's not it ain't Kai Money's fault. Kai Money is taking advantage of an opportunity. Give Kai Money some props. This, yeah. is, a new, this is a new staff. It's a new staff. We're just talking about this deal, spring game. Yeah. Yeah. Saw Kai Money out there. That just means that the guys – who, because Kai Money was a walk-on, now he's not a walk-on. He's a, he's a scholarship athlete, and he just, he'd earned it. But, by the way, that means the guys that you initially recruited and gave scholarships to, that's behind Kai Money, they step up. Kai Money did. Give Kai Money props. That's the that's the meritocracy. That's people see that and go, all right, well, Kai Money did. Earn my way. He said, exactly, I can earn my way. The, you have to have those examples within the program. If you mm-hmm. don't, then guys don't believe it's a meritocracy. They start to believe, like, uh, coach is going to pick whoever he likes. We can say what we want about Charlie's tenure, but what's one of the first things he did? His first camp, his 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 Charlie Strong's first fall practice as head coach at Texas. Dylan Haynes is out there with the starting defense. <laughs> Damn right, and all and everybody's like, "Who the hell is Dylan the hell Haynes?" Is Dylan Haynes, <laughs> kid from Lago Vista. Everybody complained about it, and then I, I tell you, because I take up for the white DBs more mm. than anybody else. Well, he's you, top you should, five right? all time in <laughs> interceptions in Texas football history. Yeah. And everybody wants to hate on Dylan Haynes. Yes, I agree that the the guy from Baylor made him look bad. Right? Well, Seth Russell yeah, jumped over him, leaped over him. I get it. Okay, trust me. There are plays like that you probably can point out about Rod B. He's top five all types of interceptions at DBU. Pretty all right, so get the, in terms of your white, your, the white safety hatred. Put it away. Hey, I was going through. I was going through some old trading cards in my office, Rod, and found a Jason Seahorn card. Said, huh, he might be a Hall of Famer. He for was, what he was in town. Yeah. I couldn't. It blew my mind. I saw Stu Myrick was, was like, like hey, it's a picture of me and Seahorn. And I was like, what was like, is going on? And you crazy about it. I was invited out to the race because I got friends out there who own like a one of the boxes out there. And, that would have been weird. I uh, know. And I was like, damn it, I had a chance to take a picture with Jason Seahorn. I missed it. And apologize so for your trans mad. apologize for your transgressions. Oh, Rod. I'm so mad at really, myself. Really, they're they're Ernie Acorsi's your transgressions. I mean, it's like, yeah, like, like hey, we're talking about Kai It's not your fault. Ernie Acorsi drafted you, and they gave well, you my fault Jim Fossil still. gave you number 31 and hey, put you at corner. And they thought that they people were going to forget about Jason Seahorn when they 
Hey, give, give it to Rod Babers and turns out. They, so I, Rod, made, I made him miss Jason Seahorn. <laughs> so Rod's <laughs> repaying it by sticking up for the white DB is basically is true? what we're getting at. Uh, it's He's a, top five, though. Come it's on. It's a nice He's not a scrub. But no, yeah. that's the point. Like, hey, if, if you don't want Dylan Haynes to start, go take his job. And nobody can take his if you don't job. Want, if you don't want Kai Money to start, go take his job. Damn right. It reminds me, for King it's, of the Hill gonna, fans, it, Bobby Hill was the stick. Right. Track, and that's what Kai Money is. But <laughs> it's the same thing at, 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 at another position, Rod, where there's a lot of competition. You, you know, like you just said, there's a lot of guys that are still competing for spots, even mm-hmm. if they don't realize they are. Yeah. Man, we know Demarion Overshone's going to start at one of those two inside linebacker spots. Yep. Name me a starter at the other one. Mm-hmm. Is it going to be David Benda? Is it going to be Jalen Ford? There's a reason Luke Brockermeyer's in that mix. And if Luke Brockermeyer is your starting, I guess it would be dime linebacker in the Louisiana game, well, okay, Benda and Ford and Jaden Hullaby, all these guys had all summer, all summer. to pass yep. Luke Brockermeyer. If he goes to camp and he's the best one, well, okay, so be it. Yep. And, and listen, the eye in the sky don't lie. So we watching film. Everybody's like, well, that guy's making more plays than that other guy. Hey, it's the reason Coach Aquino would sit us in the meeting room by our starting position. The guy that was behind you literally was breathing down your neck. <laughs> he was there. And then it, some days he'd switch it. He'd walk and in there and be go. like, oh, no. damn. I think there's something to be said too for, for the first year head coaches like I, you know go back to Mac's first year and one of the moves I remember Mac making well there were two he got Aaron Humphrey back to the D-line from middle linebacker oh, which needed to happen solving problems be but, a problem solver but what's one of the first he looked at that D-line meeting room and said you know what we, we got enough bodies in here let me take Leonard Davis and switch him to offense see what that looks like Point. And you end up getting a, getting Good the number everybody. the number two overall pick in the draft. Good out for of him it. too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's great. It point. worked out for everybody. Yeah, but it's those kind of moves. And they like did he, a lot of that though. They did a lot of that. Early well, because man, the defense under Makovic was just it's just so yeah. bad. He just did. Yeah, he didn't care about defense nah, at all. He was John Makovic was like Art Browse before Art. Pretty Bryles. much. <laughs> if I recruit speed, it's going to be on offense. Yeah. Like, hell with all that. We'll figure out a way to make it work. Well, how are you going to stop the other fast guys? Yeah, seriously. Doesn't matter. I'll, I'll have a I'll have Wayne McGarity be my number five. Running back, go play receiver, get him on the field. But yeah, so then you go to Charlie's first year. We mentioned the Dylan Haynes thing, but you know it was. uh, I'm trying to think of the other, like John Harris. John Harris being your number one wide receiver because that staff had no pre preconceived notions of who John Harris was. Right, we're just like, look, we just know that he's catching everything thrown at him, and he looks like the best receiver. So guess what? He's going to be our our number one guy, and he has a thousand yard season. Looking forward to what Kyle Flood does with that type of mindset with the offensive line. Yeah, because yeah, I think that I I think could have a huge effect on the O line. And you you can find you could find that kind of stuff uh, in Tom Herman's first year with some of the stuff they did on defense, like Mm -hmm. Antoine Davis. You know he's. Man, he's not a corner, but you know what? I need a nickel right now, and based on his size and speed, yeah, let me put him at that nickel and see if it works out. The best uh, example of the meritocracy to me with the Tom Herman regime was when Todd Orlando kept insisting that Chris Brown had to play. And we were all, uh, he was like, Chris Brown's got to play. We were like, Chris Brown's got to play? You just recruited the best DB class, (laughs) arguably, in the last 20 years in college football, and Chris Brown's got to play? He's like, Chris Brown's got to play. He's that good. We're like, all right, we're going to trust you, Todd Orlando. And he was right. Mm-hmm. Chris Brown had to play. Chris Brown's getting better, and nobody could take Chris Brown's spot. None of those young DBs supposed to be so great. They move over to the linebacker. B.J. Foster struggles a little bit. Caden Stearns regresses. Chris Brown ended up being your best DB <laughs> by the end of his career, which still hasn't gotten a job yet. I don't understand. I he must decide he didn't want to play football anymore. Or, he must decide it. Uh, there's no way he didn't get one call. 
Yeah. He decided, nah, I'm good. I don't want to chase the it. The offers just weren't. Yeah, he's like, I'm not chasing it. I got a degree. He probably, you know, probably already had his plan set. Maybe. We'll see what happens. Uh, maybe he's waiting for XFL round two to come around. Yeah, maybe he wants to work for The Rock. <laughs> <laughs> Might not be a bad gig. Yeah, it ain't a bad gig. I'll take it. Um, so we got a little bit of time left, and maybe we'll have to, we'll have to carry this over because it's there's too much to get to in about two or three minutes here. But, Rod, there was a thread on the flagship message board at Horns 24-7, and I'll see if I can find the post. I thought I had it pulled up. Uh Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought I had it pulled up, but I don't. Basically, it was a poster wondering. Uh, okay, here it is right here. Sorry, I'm filibustering right quick. Wow, <laughs> uh, just a poster <laughs> said uh, the headline of the, the thread title is just Chris Sims. And the post says, Chris and Corey's recruiting class and years played were during my college years. I've been on this board in a number uh, a number of years and don't recall at least any recent threads as to why Sims seems to be so alienated from UT and why so much of the fan base <laughs> thinks so negatively of him. This is in no way a thread to bash, bash Chris, but I was wondering if there are any inside stories as to why the relationship with Chris, UT, and the fan base seems so right. <laughs> of course, that 0-1 Big 12 championship game still stings, but I know there's more to the story than that game and his perceived ego slash pedigree. So, anytime we talk Chris Sims on this show, there's no better resource to go to than somebody who's lived for a time under the same roof as Chris Sims. Rod, to explain to a Texas fan, let's say let's say you're a student at UT right now. Mm-hmm. So you had no idea about the Sims Applewhite deal. You had nothing. Chris Sims' career—it's merely what you see on a sheet of paper. It's <laughs> merely accomplishments on a piece of paper. Mm, yeah. And you see Chris Sims' his national profile now, and his national profile has blown up with what he's doing yeah. at NBC yeah, and his podcast job. and everything else. Anytime Chris Sims publishes something for the aggregation folks, it is it is it's clicks yeah. because Chris has some hot takes and mm-hmm. some uh, some popular takes, some unpopular <laughs> takes. But you see the national profile, and you're like, man, this guy went to Texas. Why isn't why doesn't he pump up Texas? Why why doesn't he talk up the school he went to? Rod, what? How, and look, I'm not I'm not asking you to get into your personal business with Chris Sims, but as best you can, mm-hmm. how does Chris Sims right now in the year 2021 feel about the University of Texas? As best you feel comfortable mm-hmm. stating publicly. Uh, Chris loves the University of Texas. He loves his experiences that he had here, the relationships, still takes a lot of pride in what he accomplished here. His relationship with the fans is what is strained. He loves UT. He does. He's got a lot of, he got a lot of pride in going to Texas. His relationship with the fans was strained because that was a weird relationship, man. I mean, this is a guy that... Of course, he had some underwhelming performances in big games, but still won a ton of games here at Texas and accomplished a lot. I won't get into all the stats and all that stuff. One of the best all the time. time. You can say that clearly. It really is. And he hasn't been back uh, to the University of Texas since he left. Uh, He has been back to Austin, but not University of Texas, like in any kind of capacity. And I think it's just because, you know, he doesn't feel like the fans loved him while he was here. Yeah, the fans um, wouldn't treat him right. He, not only that, he doesn't even feel like they liked him. I think he feel like yeah. mostly the fans, most fans hate him, which is not the case. I think it's a very loud, like, 
a third of the fans that may dislike Your or Internet not like Chris Sims. Is, yeah, is the loud version. Yeah, and most of that came from hit the competition with Major Applewhite, which right. we all agree Mac Brown may not have handled it in the best way. I think Mac probably would agree with that now mm-hmm. in retrospect too. And I think the way he kind of mishandled it also led to a perception about Chris Sims and the limo coming up, and, you know, into yeah. the dorms to, to move in, all that kind of stuff. So I think that's what it is more about the relationship. So I think if he starts to feel uh, reception, a warm reception from Texas fans, I think he would be more inclined to come to Texas and involve himself more in the football program, I think he believes like hell. If he comes down here, I mean, this is a guy that had his tires slashed. He had, you know, people give out his number on message board. Yeah. He had to change his number a couple of times. I mean, he would get. Throw I mean, stuff we we, at we him. would go to frat parties and frat guys would try to start fights with Sims and throw stuff at him, and we'd end up fighting. You know, like. 20 frat dudes. It, it was fun. It was pretty fun. But still, you know what I mean? But like stuff like that. Like he just didn't have a really enjoyable experience in terms of his relationship with the fans because he lost some big games and fans at Texas. Can, they don't really take kindly. Can I tell you my, my solution to this? Because I know we got to wrap this up. Yeah. And, and we always keep the Chris Sims conversation going. But this is my solution for Chris Del Conte to, mm-hmm. to take a step to making it right with Chris mm-hmm. Sims. Put him in the Hall of Honor. He deserves it. Uh, if you look at the, the two big numbers, like how do we judge quarterbacks, right? We're wins. judging by how many wins. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe he was top. I believe Sam Ellinger, Colt McCoy, Vince Young, Bobby Lane are the only quarterbacks in school history with more wins than Chris Sims. And if you swap out Sam Ellinger for James Street, those are the only four quarterbacks ever that have a higher winning percentage. Yeah. Than Chris Sims. Now guy, we won a lot of games, man. Yeah. Won he won all the ones that weren't the handful that you probably come to the forefront of your mind. He just needed to win OU and needed to I get, do better. Yeah, Big 12 title game. Yeah, that's a good point. For and him. honestly, but uh, game. if you if you really want to look, start looking at his numbers, and Chris Sims still in the top top five in multiple oh, man, career passing categories and yeah. fastest in a season to 1,000 yards or whatever, he's still up there. But if you want to know, okay, well, yeah, the OU thing didn't go well. Okay, I'll come right back if you want to know what's Hall of Honor worthy. Two of the best games off the top of my head I can remember Chris Sims playing were against Texas A&M. Ne- yep. Yeah, and Nebraska. Nebraska. I was going to say, they had a hell of a Nebraska game, too. The finger mm-hmm. game against Nebraska? Mm-hmm. Or- and by the way, that Tech game we lost in 0-2. That wasn't, that wasn't his him. fault. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> he was balling out. The only reason we did it. I know. I'm with you. He had better. I, I think he had more of those types of performances than the disappointing ones, but those the disappointing ones are the ones that stand out. There's also this element to Chris Sims. If you don't get Chris Sims, you don't get Roy Williams and B.J. Johnson and Sloan Thomas. And if you don't get those guys, do you get a Cedric Benson? In other words, what Chris Sims did to the recruiting profile of the University of Texas mm-hmm. in terms of reestablishing it as a national brand that alone should get you in the Hall of Honor. On top of everything, that's the cherry on top. On top of everything he accomplished, and I'm I'm talking about the Hall of Honor. Like it's it yeah. is a big deal. It Don't is get a big me wrong. deal. But come on, guys, there are people in the Hall of Honor that Chris Sims is more deserving. Don't than those have guys. the oh, kind yes. of resume Chris Sims. Uh, yeah, I think Rod. To me, that would go a long way in terms of that's a gesture the athletic department can do to say, mm-hmm. hey, we're going to put you in the Hall of Honor. We're going to bring you back, get you out in front of the fans list off your accomplishments and there might be a handful of turds in the in the crowd that would boo or whatever have yeah. their opinion but i think overwhelmingly at a crowd of 100,000 plus the overwhelming majority would be happy to see Chris Sims reconnect with this program
Yeah. No, I think you're right. I think it's a great way to get him to come to an event or some sanctioned uh, event to yeah. honor him. I think he's at, they do it at football games, too. Yeah. Which would be cool, first, but usually the first game I w- of the season. I yeah. wouldn't doubt if there are some a holes that bull them. And there'd just be a good amount of there. them. That <laughs> well, there no, would and that just would be an indictment of Texas fans because the t- only ones in the wrong this whole time have been Texas fans. And Sims grew up in an atmosphere where being yep. a kid of a New York Giants quarterback in situation, mm-hmm. you have a different way of having to compartmentalize and deal with those things. So it's maybe easier for a quarterback like him to detach the way that other players maybe aren't able to do that to their alma mater. But when you look at it, fifth all-time, 26 wins. Only Sam Ellinger had, uh, with 27, then Lane, Young, and Colt have more. Yeah. No, I agree with you, man. It's a good idea. He has so. a better record than Major, too, by the way, who was 22-8. and eight. We'll keep that. Keep uh, we'll keep that. <laughs> That's why they move. Keep it all care thank, about you, that, thank yeah. you for that. Uh, thank you for that parting yeah. shot there, Matt. Uh, so we'll keep we always keep the Chris Sims conversation going because I like having it because you know in terms of my and I'll, I'll be honest like you can't say it now because I'm covering the program but in my time as a fan, gosh man what a time to be alive and to see Texas it, it's such a dichotomy right because on one hand you've got the legitimate resurgence of Texas as a national brand as a national power a national championship contender you've got that on one hand. And on the other hand, you've got this dynamic of a quarterback battle between, man, the folk hero who's everything Texas fans typically love against the son of a Super Bowl MVP. And in reality, the perception of Chris Sims was everything that a mm-hmm. lot of Texas fans didn't like. So yeah. it's just it's it's weird how you got both those things going on at the same time, and to follow this program, man, it was a it was a hell of a time to be alive. It was. Like I said, thank God we didn't have social media back oh. then. It would have oh. been absolutely a dumpster fire. Oh yeah, buster club. It would have been absurd. Yeah, and it it had been more hatred towards Sims. He probably would have had to delete his account. Yeah, trust he me. Probably like, would have had to delete his account. Trust me. At that point, you guys could still, you know, I I know we talk about the practice bubble, but the figurative bubble, you guys could like live in that. To a large extent, away from because oh, at yeah. that point it's talk radio and it's newspaper. Like yeah. that's all it is. Yeah, and young people didn't read newspapers no. and they didn't. There were no smartphones. Yeah, <laughs> the only thing our phones did back then you play Snake. That was about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that next tail chirp feature. Yeah, that was, that was about it. Walkie talkie. Uh, yeah, yeah. What man? What a time that would have yeah. been. All right, that's gonna do it for this week's show. Matt, thanks for everything, man. You're more than welcome. Rod B, appreciate the time and the knowledge. Anytime, brother. Anytime. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. For Matt, for Rod, for everybody at the Austin Radio Network and the Horn, 1049-1019-AM-1260. Streaming on the Horn app and at hornfm.com where you can get Rod B on the triple option each and every weekday from 3 to 7. Shameless plug. You can also catch myself and Craig Waite each and every weekday on Light the Tower from 10 to noon. And thanks to Matt, you can get all of our archives. Our classic interviews and shows are available on the Longhorn Blitz SoundCloud page. Yep, just type in Longhorn Blitz. Don't forget to search Horns 24-7 anywhere you get your podcasts. Click the subscribe button to get every episode of the flagship State of Recruiting and Longhorn Blitz, and don't forget to leave us a five-star review. For the Horn family, for the Horns 24-7 family, I'm Jeff Howell. Thank you so much for downloading and listening, and we will catch you again on the next episode.
You've been listening to Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Remember, for the latest Longhorn news 24-7, visit Horns247.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.